0: Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? How can we best embody that aliveness while dealing with the unique stressors that we face in this strange and potent time? I'm your host, Brett Kane, I'm a mindfulness meditation instructor and manual therapist, and joining me on the show today is the one and only Tom Myers, author of the Anatomy Trains program, who is also a fellow manual therapist of over 40 years who has been practicing in a variety of clinical and cultural settings from Western Europe to here in the States. He studied under doctors Ida Rolfe and Moshe Feldenkrais and also Buckminster Fuller. So I'm going to be totally blunt with y'all. This might be one of my favorite episodes, not to blow smoke up his butt, but this was Pretty much everything that I wanted for the show, the intersection of body work, consciousness, and cultivating that sense of aliveness. This is the episode where everything, the pedal meets the metal, and I am super happy to be putting this out and re-listening through it again a week later. I am just blown away at how deep we were able to get and how comprehensive this conversation is in really packaging this idea of using body work and using spatial medicine as he calls it as a means to really answer the call of a lot of psychological issues health issues this is a wallop of an episode i don't know if that's the proper use of that term but what we're going to be talking about for the next hour is the fascial system um both the fascia as an umbrella and the myofascia, in particular with uh, how it innervates the muscles, how bodywork can actually affect this system, what the role and relationship is between the nervous system and fascia. We're gonna be exploring three different kinds of medicine. So that's time, mind, and space. We're gonna be talking about how social media has affected spatial medicine. We're gonna be talking about the power of human touch and presence and how we can ultimately bring the body into a deeper state of resonance. So this is, like I said, this is pretty much everything. Um, And when it comes to this topic, I, uh, yeah, this is is a really good time to be joining us on the show if you haven't checked us out before. So I really don't want to take up too much of your time because there is so much to uh, digest here. So I would honestly encourage you if you have space get a notebook and uh, get a pen and maybe take some notes. Um, Yeah, there's so much on offer here. So I don't want to take away from that. If you do want to support the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five star review that really, really helps. Um, It's literally probably the one of the most valuable metrics that we could be working with in the podcasting scene. You can head on over to youtube give us a subscribe there that's where you're probably going to stay most up to date with the newest episodes social media kind of uh, throttles it depending on if i want to give money or not we're also on facebook we're also on instagram so any interaction on that stuff too also really helps um, spread the reach of the show so if you believe in this conversation of merging science spirituality activism environmentalism uh, anatomy and fitness, and how we could just have a conversation on being the most alive in this century. Then, yeah, any any of your support is much appreciated. We also got that Patreon if you want to be a monthly subscriber. Right now, there's no benefits outside of the fact that you're supporting the show. You're getting uh, two to three hours of free content as it currently stands, which I'm happy to do. But you know, If you want to support and show me some love, head on over to patreon.com slash 21stcenturyvitalism.com. You can also head on over to anatomytrains.com to check out uh, the rest of Tom Meyer's stuff. He's got some really great talks on YouTube as well. I really suggest he's got one where he's at a Google conference, and it's really brilliant as well. So if this is your kind of thing, if this is inspiring to you, check it all out. Get more involved. I have his Anatomy Trains workbook right next to me. And it's uh, kind of the Bible of manual therapy. Anybody who has done any sort of manual therapy has probably heard of this book and his work. So this was a huge honor. So I'm not going to take up all that much more time. If you want to sit back, do some stretches, drink some tea, and open your hearts for Tom Myers. right, we are now live. Thomas Myers, hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. It's an honor and pleasure to have you on. Hello, Brett. I didn't know that vitalism had left, so I'm <laughs> glad to see that it's alive and well. Yeah, it's it's interesting. When I was looking into the name, my original idea was the Tao of the 21st century, and then I realized that I'm more aligned with Buddhism than I am Taoism, and I'm like, ah, that's a little appropriate so it was the next step. And then I realized, oh, this is an entire system all in itself, and it's actually really relevant. So I, I figured bringing it to a new, new era of folks who are looking to increase their embodiment.
1: Well, the, the, the thing with, if I just can trip off your very name, um, mm-hmm. the opposite of vitalism is deadism. And the, <laughs> the problem with science that most of us have been raised in, and certainly... Uh, anybody raised modern, is, is that science presumes that everything is dead and that somehow something became alive. Uh, and I start from the presumption that everything is alive uh, and that only some things can become dead. Um, and I'm not even sure that that can happen. But in any case, the uh, the idea that everything is alive is one that's very uh, appealing to me.
0: Hmm. How would you describe that aliveness? Like what would you say is like your kind of guiding philosophy on that that momentum that like demiurge of nature? Like do you have any anything to riff on with that? Well,
1: uh, I'm an old man. So when I was young, it was the evolution was taught that um there were these chemicals in the Archeozoic Sea and lightning struck and urea was formed and then boom, we have an organism. And uh, it was a chance thing that only could have happened once in a gazillion times. And now with the modern mathematics of chaos theory, complexity theory, and and autopoiesis, we know that life is probably self-assembly on all kinds of planets um, and that life is something that the universe Moves towards, rather than was a chance happening that happened to take hold on Earth. Now we don't know how prevalent life is in the universe uh, until we find some on some other planet in a in a definite kind of way. But um, in the meantime, on Earth, it looks as though life is a something that the universe moves towards. So it may be an inherent property. We'll get into that later, I guess, when we start
0: talking about consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of brings us to the what I think is going to be the foundation for this kind of conversation, and it's kind of the, the spearhead of a lot of the work that you've kind of helped pioneer, and that's with understanding the myofascial component of our body as a system rather than just an inert, dead substance that binds the living aspects. So in order to really kind of create a firm, shared understanding for the listeners, what the heck is myofascia? <laughs> Okay, I'm going
1: to distinguish from the beginning myofascia from fascia, and I'm going to talk about fascia in general first, and then we'll we'll come in on myofascia. Myo means muscle, so myofascia is muscle and fascia together. But all of your body has fascia. It's not all myofascia, but it's all fascia. Let me just put this together really simply. You think of yourself as you, Brett. I think of myself as Tom. But you are, in fact, about 70 trillion cells cooperating to produce the phenomenon we call Brett. I am 70 trillion cells, plus another 40 trillion in my gut that have a lot to do with my mood. Um, So over 100 trillion cells are cooperating in this thing that is now speaking in the form of Tom. And I don't have awareness of all my individual cells. I just have awareness of what Tom wants to do, and presumably my blood cells don't um, know that they're uh, funding my vocal muscles so that I can speak to Brett. <laughs> so it's, we, we are an amazing colony of cooperation. I only wish our political leaders could show some of the cooperation that the body shows on a minute-by-minute basis. Um, and uh, and <laughs> that might happen in, in some future place. Now, if you're 70 trillion cells, something has to hold you together. If you think about it for a while, you would think you're either going to glue all those cells together because they're kind of sticky and gluey anyway, um, or you would weave them together um, with, a, with a fabric that goes all around them. And in fact, evolution or God or your mom or Charles Darwin, whoever you think does these things, uh, did both. Your cells are woven together with a fabric, and that fabric is called fascia. But the fascia is also lots of glues and gels, ionized gels, in between the fibers. And when I was first doing this 40 years ago, all we thought about was the fibers. That's what Ida Rolf taught me about in rolfing and et cetera. But we now know that the gels are very, very important and that every cell in your body is living within this fiber-gel matrix. And we've studied the bejesus out of the nervous system. We've studied the bejesus out of the circulatory system. But our th- the third system we call the musculoskeletal system, and that leaves out this fabric that goes through all the tissues and around all your cells and holds you in the shape that you are. My my fascia is breaking down in my face slowly and gently in at a regular basis, so wrinkles are appearing on my skin as a result of the breakdown of that fascia as I age. Um, fortunately for me, it's holding together fairly well in the rest of my body, and I'm not uh, dealing with too many injuries, and I still have an active life. But that, as you get to my age, uh, the fascia is, its yes, you want to avoid breaking bones, but you also want to avoid uh, having sprains and ligament strains and whether your joints are still working because all of these are connective tissues. All of these are part of the fascial network that holds us together. So it's amazing that we went through 400 years and really didn't understand the system as a system. We are now understanding that system as a system. It applies to rehabilitation. It applies to sports. It applies to how we physically educate people. It applies at a deeper level to therapy and emotionality, which we might get into later. Um, So it's a system that we kind of knew about, but haven't really um, taken on as a communicating system. Uh, That's, that's what's happening with the fascia. The myofascia is, do we want to stop there? or Do you want me to go on about myofascia?
0: No, I love it. It's great.
1: Okay. The myofascia is specifically the fascia that goes with the muscles. Um, So, we think of you have a muscle and then you have a tendon and the tendon goes into the bone. In point of fact, if this isn't too confusing, the bone has a saran wrap covering, a plastic wrap covering called the periosteum and the tendon are, comes right out of that periosteum. So we say tendon and periosteum, saran wrap around the bones, but there's no separation between the two. The tendon just anchors itself, blends itself into the bone and into the covering around the bone. Likewise, when the tendon gets to the muscles, there's no break. It's just that the yarn, the very closely wrapped yarn of the tendon, opens up and allows some muscle cells to live in there. The muscle cells pull on the yarn, the yarn pulls on the part of the yarn that's the tendon, that pulls on the bone, and off we are. Therefore, we have thought of muscles, and this has been since 1678, since Borelli published his biomechanics, we've thought the muscle goes from here to here and therefore does this action on the bones. And that's how we've analyzed the movement of the body. That turns out, As useful as it is, it's a great model. It's a very useful model. It is inadequate to the task because the muscle is not only attached at either end, it's attached all the way along to the muscles beside it, to the ligaments below it, to the nerves and arteries that are running beside it. Um, And all these attachments are clinically and in our daily movement relevant. If you have an adhesion, which is a very common thing to happen in the fascia, it gets adhesed to the thing next to it, then they can't move relative to each other. The whole idea is that these gels allow the fascia, one bit of fascia to glide on another bit of fascia, one muscle to glide on another muscle, one organ to glide on another organ. When a woman has endometriosis and the blood, instead of coming out of the uh, the vagina usually gets up the fallopian tubes and gets into the pelvis. It makes terrible scar tissue. This scar tissue is connective tissue and will inhibit the movement and create pain, as many women would tell you. Um, and it's this kind of thing that we're trying to prevent from surgeries, from injuries, and just from the ways that people hold themselves, either by habit or by emotion. Um, we're trying to change those things out.
0: So what is the role of the body worker, the manual therapist in this process? Because I've heard conflicting information with a lot of new research that we actually can't even affect the myofascia in the way that we once thought we did like 10 years or so. Is there any research that you're familiar with that kind of points to our potential for change within this system?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, the... uh... It's, it's been a really interesting thing. We, when I first started this in the, um, learning this thing in the seven, 1970s, late 70s, um, we were talking about stretching the fascia, that the fascia got short and uh, that we were in the business of stretching it. And we've found since that um, we're not in the business of stretching it because the individual fibers are stronger than steel and they won't stretch. What we do know, though, is that the individual fibers are not held together end to end, but kind of like a rope, because it's very similar to a rope in structure, that the fibers are overlapping with each other, and not, and, and they're held together with these gels that I was talking about. Mu- it's mucus. We're held together by snot. That's the way of it. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the snot stuff is holding between the fibers this way. So when you put pressure in, this pressure or heat could be coming from exercise. It could be coming from a roller, or a tool. It could be coming from a therapist's hand. Now, I, of course, I like a therapist's hand. The therapist's hand is very intelligent and can feel things that a roller can't feel. Um, we we can talk about that difference. But the the roller, the stretcher, the um, going into a yoga class, any of these things challenge the tissue that's short challenge the tissue that's stuck and what you get is not lengthening of the individual fibers but a glide because the mucus melts allows the fibers to slide on each other and then they remake their bonds when the move is done when the yoga class is done when your training is done um for those into training they know about tear and repair um that when you're doing your workout you're actually as the muscle builds it has to tear the fascia a little bit and then repair it tear it and repair it this happens in a day most people uh, would wait a day between their training heavy training sessions um i have to wait i'm old so i wait three days in between my training sessions because i need that long for recovery if i pound it day after day after day i will end up with an injury um so i've learned I, I train very intensely, but I train every two, three days, um, depending on how my body's feeling. And that, that way I give my body time to recover. We now know that this recovery time after a yoga session, after a stretch session, after a training session, after a bodywork session, the recovery time is more important than what you do in the session. Yes, of course, a skilled session is better than an unskilled session, but but uh, it's It's what the body does after the stimulus that's really important in terms of this fabric and the gels that we've been talking about.
0: So when it comes to enacting like a long-lasting change as a body worker, I do feel a sense of maybe... um, hopelessness in that i i know that if the person isn't taking on a sense of wellness within their own sphere that what i'm doing might be temporary is that an accurate readout or is there body work that can actually last for a much longer duration i'm i'm a licensed massage therapist so that's within my domain i don't have any like rolfing training or anything like that sure 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 sure. but you're putting your go ahead sorry what i was just gonna say does it take um kind of like daily active movement in order to really have this change take place?
1: Daily active movement is absolutely necessary to everybody. And we have constructed a society in which sitting just happens so much. Everybody knows this. I don't need to belabor the point. Um, So daily movement is, is terrifically important. What a body worker or a yoga teacher or a psychotherapist for that matter can do is to look in and see the areas in yourself, because since I'm including psychotherapists, but the areas in your body, if we're just talking about body workers and yoga teachers, looking at the areas in your body which are not moving. Now, the areas in your body that if if I look at my hand here, this is my normal movement. I can, this is within my range of movement. And probably unless I have an injury, it's not going to go down much. Right now, if I push, I can get a few degrees more. If I pull, I can get a few degrees more. So I would call this number one. This is my number one movement. It's easily available. It's in my range of motion, no problem. This is number two. I have to do something with my hand or the gravity to get more of a stretch out of it. We call that a stretch. You stretch into the number two areas. But there are number three areas which I never move. If I was to stand up and walk back from this camera and do the splits, you would laugh at me. I can barely get my legs apart. I am not a person who can do the splits, Um, and uh, people laugh at me when I try. That's fine. (laughs) If I were to really, so there are areas in my in you know in the in between my legs, in between my thighs, adductor area, that. It's my number one area. I can get out that wide. I can straddle a horse, whatever I have to do. But if I had to go into the splits, I would soon be into my number two areas. And if I dropped into the splits that my girlfriend can do, I would be in the hospital. I would have pulled arteries. You know, I would have damaged arteries and veins and nerves. Um, My body is not ready to do the splits, and I can't do it suddenly because those number three areas, the areas I never move, have gotten so stuck together that if I was to bully my way through it and just insist I'm doing the splits right now, I'd be in the hospital. So, you know, it's great to stretch, but it's not great to overstretch. You you, you probably know, uh, if you're a body worker, how many yoga injuries there are. I love yoga, I think yoga is great, but people get into it, they overstretch themselves, they do it too hard and they end up with injuries. Um, And that's the kind of thing that we come back to now. So a good just uh, I'll finish this up. I'm sorry it was so long. A good body worker can look into you and see where your number three areas are and that you won't do with a roller on your own floor. Mm -hmm. A A good yoga teacher can guide you into your number three areas so that you're moving in areas you haven't moved before. So we're trying to move number three areas, the unknown areas, into number two areas that are available, but they need to be stretched, or they hurt when you stretch them, or that's that's what I would call the number two areas. And move the number two areas into number one areas, which are just easily available to my daily range of movement. That's what we would like. We We need a program, Brett, that goes to the school kids to start to get the value of movement. We have gotten... Over the last 20 or 30 years, the value of exercise. People are going to yoga class three times a week or they're going to Pilates twice a week or they're going to the gym um, or they're going out running or whatever they do. Um, However, three hours a week or five hours a week or whatever you do, and for many people, it's one or two hours a week is supposed to counteract the other 167 hours of the week that, uh, or whatever it is, 165 hours of the week in which you're sitting around on the computer as we are now. Um, so the society is moving to a place of non-movement so fast that um, I, I, we, I, I, people like me worry about what this will mean for the bodies of our children You know, 20, 30 years down the road.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie WALL-E. It's uh, that dy- dystopian <laughs> future Pixar where yes. all the humans are like in those like floating. They're all like really like overweight and like not healthy. That was the first image I got. Yes. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of curious. So because, well, I guess first I want to ask like, what is the relationship between the fascia and the nervous system? Because I'm really, uh, the thing that got me into body work was uh, Peter Levine and his Waking the Tiger dealing mm-hmm. with like trauma and the understanding that our experiences, which are largely neurological get kind of locked within our muscles and our fabrics. So I'm just kind of curious, um, is there a lot of research on how these two things affect each other and maybe how adhesion might relate to kind of mental tension? Is that a lot? Yes.
1: No, no. Yeah, it is a lot. So, uh, let's see if we can go through this. The, the fascia as a fabric, wants to connect, it will connect if it possibly can. If you break a bone, it will reconnect. You have to hold the bone absolutely still for the first few weeks because the fascia, it's the fascia in the bone that actually has to knit. We say a bone re but what re is the fascia, and then the calcium uses the fascia as a scaffolding to bridge the gap where the bone was broken. Um, So you really have to hold the bone very still in the first few weeks. However, if you're holding the bone still and you have a cast on your leg, I'm speaking of myself because I broke my bone when I was young, um, you have a cast on your leg. Well, none of the muscles are moving, so they're sticking to each other because the fascia is trying to stick together anywhere it's not moving. Um, so nowadays they don't do what they did with my leg, which is to put it in a cast for eight weeks. They put it in a cast for four weeks and then you get a fiberglass cast with Velcro so you can take it off once a day and start exercising. That's because they realize that if they immobilize an area that's injured, it's good to do in the first bit. Understand the the body has to knit, but once that knitting is underway, you want movement. In the olden days, it wouldn't have been still for eight weeks. You couldn't have been still for eight weeks in a in a Paleolithic world. You would have died, um, been eaten, or something. So, uh, the idea of keeping moving is built into the body. And we, temporarily in our in our attempt to heal best, we said, "Oh, don't move! Don't move your neck. You had a you've had a whiplash. Don't move your neck. Put a collar on." Um, and this immobility idea was very prevalent after the war, after the Second World War, all during the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and then they began to realize, no, that's not the way to do it. We need to have it move. Now, you asked about the relationship between the nervous system and the fascia system. So, the first thing is, you have more neurological sensors in your fascia than you have in your tongue or in your eye. The most... Prevalent sense in your body is the sense of your body. It's called the proprioceptive sense. I would argue and this would be a technical argument that all of those Sensors are in the fascia. However, about one-sixth of those sensors are in the muscles muscle spindles So those muscle spindles are technically reading the fascia inside the muscle, but okay Let's say yep. Those are the things that are reading the length of the muscle five, six of the sensors, Golgi tendon organs, Pacinian corpuscles, Ruffini endings, etc., are just, the nerves just go into the fascia and stop. And they're sensing what's going on. Is there compression? Is there tension? Is there shear? Um, So your nervous system is very intimately connected with your fascial system. And we're just finding out how that works. So there's, yes, there's a lot of research and no, there isn't a lot known yet. We do know that your proprioceptive sense comes five-sixths from your fascia and only one-sixth from your muscles. Uh, that's one thing to know. Um, and so we also know that there are not only these sensors that, and put your arm, everybody in the listening audience here, put, put your arm out from your body and just hold it there while, while I'm talking. You'll be aware right away of the proprioceptive sensors in your trap and your delt that is telling you that there's a weight at the end of the muscles and it's about the weight of your arm. And there's no judgment on that. It's just telling you your arm is out. It's telling you that's your sense of where you are in space. But the longer you hold your arm out here, the more you'll get different messages. You'll get messages with an emotional meaning, by which I mean you'll start to get messages like um, that, that have a, a motivational aspect to them well, he can't see me he won't know if I put my arm down um, <laughs> well can't I just put it down for a minute and give it a little rest are you sure this isn't damaging my joints you know there, there there are messages coming to your brain that are more emotive that are more motivational and this is the beginning the very bottom of that interrelationship you can take your arm down now um, <laughs> but you notice how you want it to do right yeah
0: it, I almost it, it did it early. I was like, "Boy, oh, he can see me." So, oh shoot! <laughs> <laughs> so you have to stay there. Yes.
1: Um, same same thing when I'm doing this in class. You can see people's eyes start to flicker as they start to think of, "Well, how could I put this thing down?" You're not damaging your joints. If if I had you leave it up there for five minutes, you'd be in pain. But you're not doing any damage to the muscles or the joints. It's one of those things like putting your fingers in cold water, which is what they use in pain experiments because it's painful, but it's not damaging to the tissue at all, not like cutting somebody or something. Um, So you have emotional, by which I mean motivational messages coming from your fascial system, as well as non judgmental, just Your arm's out here. You want to know where your arm is in space. You have to catch a ball. You have to put your hands on somebody. You need to know where you are in space. That has no judgment on it at all. But we just discovered, I mean, this is a recent discovery. Oh, no, there's lots of sensors that have motivation that are in your myofascia as well. Okay. Let's take an example. This could be a physical injury. I'm going to use something that has an emotional weight to it. Um, we, we all know about abuse. We all know um, about the kinds of things that can happen. But this happens to everybody on an everyday level. I um, My dad was a wonderful person. He wasn't violent or anything like that. But Sundays were terrible with my dad. He was a workaholic and he didn't work on Sundays. So he was irritable all of Sunday because he would rather be working uh, than to take care of us kids. And... Um, So I learned to not breathe. I learned to stay small on Sundays around my father. I'm not trying to make this into a big thing. He was a wonderful person, and I had a great upbringing. But that is a neuromuscular habit. It's a neuromuscular habit of being small. A neuromuscular habit of being stuck on the exhale right? I'm not on the inhale. I'm ooh, I'm carefully on the exhale. So that is a neuromuscular habit. But if I keep that habit going for a long time, it gets written not just into the neuromuscular, but into the fascial sensing as well. In fact, I almost never take a big breath. I never go to the other end of the thing. So this, that filling up into the full, my full lungs, becomes a number three area, becomes an area I don't move into, and I forget it in my brain. I'm not there. I need somebody to help me. That could be a ball, ball or a roller, it could be a yoga teacher, it could be a body worker. A body worker, obviously it's more expensive, but that body worker is turning their full attention on where you might be stuck. So that. Uh, that's what I do, and, uh, I understand it's expensive and not everybody can do it all the time, but it is uh, the gold standard in terms of having somebody come in, see you from the outside, see you as you cannot see yourself, and start to go into these areas, which may, I mean, that, that area for me had a whole emotional thing when I got into therapy and I opened this up. It was like um, some of first my anger at my dad for ignoring us and then uh, my love for him that was underneath that came through in a way that it hadn't come through in my pre-therapy days. Um, so yes, this has all kinds of implications um, for the work that started with Sigmund Freud, which I would call the medicine of time. Um, mm. Sigmund Freud going on to Carl Jung and all Adler and all the other people who've been in the psychological space. <laughs> I, I don't mean to reduce their work because it's very complex and very interesting, but in a sense, all psychotherapists are Buddhists. They're all get, trying to get you in the present moment. If I'm going to a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist, I'm trying not to be influenced by things in my past that are in my present or anxious about a future that hasn't happened yet. Right? I want to be in the present moment. I'm sorry if I'm reducing all of psychiatry to something so simple, but... <laughs> Um, for many people, you know, if, if you're not out there in the, in the very thick confines of, of a schizophrenic or a psychotic thing, if you're just in the normal neurosis of the society, you're trying to get into the present moment. And I honor that moment, uh, movement of that medicine of time. I'm sorry that they've gotten so much into drugs because that's the medicine of matter. And the medicine of matter, material medicine, is the medicine that we all bow down to. It has white coats, it has drugs, it has vaccine. Um, and uh, we, we have bowed down to the medicine of matter because this is a material world and a material society and a material empire in America. Um, so we have really, the whole psychi- psychiatric has moved into drugs. And I think that's a too bad thing. It, it, sometimes the drugs are good, sometimes they're they're... Instruments, um, So we're into the medicine of space. And this, I think, is where you might want to go with this talk, uh, at least where I want to go with this talk, um, because I think there's a medicine of matter. We call it medicine. It has surgery, it has uh, anesthesia, and it has drugs up the wazoo um, that it prescribes to everybody and sometimes prescribes, overprescribes, as we know. We have the medicine of time that is in the form of psychiatry and psychotherapy, but that also has moved towards material medicine with its dependence on drugs. Now comes the medicine of space. It's existed as yoga, it's existed as training, it's existed as martial arts, but these are all little separate things that don't like each other. You you ever heard one yoga teacher talking about another yoga teacher? It's awful. (laughs) Um, And so they're existing in these separate things saying, you know, yoga is the best, tai chi is the best, something, something is the best uh, of these bits. Um, We need them all. We need every one of them because the society is falling into non-movement and all of those things of movement are good. Some are good for some people at some time. Others are good for others at at other times. But we don't have, you know, medicine has its William Harvey who organized chemistry. Uh, Psychiatry has its Sigmund Freud that organized psychiatry, whether you agree with him or disagree with him. We don't have somebody who has organized spatial medicine yet. We have yoga over here and osteopathy over here and massage over here and something else over here. Um, but they're all part of how do, how does the body occupy space? How does it spatially organize itself? How, um, how do we move ourselves through the environment? Obviously, gait and crawling and things in the developmental. How do we manipulate the environment? Tools, Cadillacs, yoga balls, whatever. Um, Those are the things that concern the medicine of space. But right now, the medicine of space is spread out over all these disciplines, and nobody has come together to really bring all of that stuff uh, under one roof. I think that's going to happen in the next 50 years. And I think that medicine of space has a great deal to do with our consciousness, our psychology, our ability to be healthy in in these realms.
0: It's interesting to see the trajectory of our technological society and it's like hand in hand with the lack of movement. We also have this new technology of social media. And I think Mm -hmm. something that has really connected us with space is our desire to connect with other humans. And so much of connecting in person with people is the nonverbal element of that. And you're like, the neurotransmitter idea where we're like kind of mirroring each other and it creates this culture of how we share space and right now with social media so much of that connection is taking place digitally without the actual connection and felt presence of connecting with another human and i'm just mm-hmm. kind of curious do, do you do you see that being one of the major impediments towards maybe this new kind of language of spatial medicine it may be, but I don't think so. Um, if you'll forgive me, putting out a
1: contrary view, mm-hmm. I think the uh, the the what would we call it? The alienation of social media is a temporary phenomenon, mm. and it is a phenomenon. Yes, uh, people are getting people are actually you know having their own internal status uh, measured by how they're doing on social media. I don't know if you've seen Dark Mirror. Uh, it's a yeah. wonderful show that, that uh, some of them are good and some of them are bad, but they have really examined these. You know what will happen with social media and the fact that we're being kind of rated all the time in the social world. Um, but I don't think that's very much different than what people have been trying to do in villages and in cities for the last hundred years. It just has a digital thing now, and yes, some people will get lost down that road, some people got lost down the road of taking psychedelic drugs. When I was in, uh, you know, in the '60s, I, I got a great deal from my adventures with those psychic realms, um, and I didn't go crazy. But I do know people who were really their their minds were crippled by overdoing these things. Um, their brains were crippled by overdoing these things, and and they did not have a a good outcome. Um, so there will be people who will be harmed and hurt by this social media thing, as we have seen. Um, but I think overall that people will begin to, uh, that people are beginning to see the limitations of this kind of thing, which is great. I mean, it's, I I couldn't run my company without social media. and We, we reach a whole bunch of people through social media. I, I'm not a social media person myself, but uh, I recognize its value. And... Um, but I think that people will, having done that, the kids of your generation and the generations to come will be saying, that's great, that's great for IM, that's great for meeting up with you at 5 o'clock, but I need to meet up with you at 5 o'clock, face to face, because of the value of that nonverbal verbal piece. Um, and that people will return to the value of actual contact, actual touch. I see a... a I don't mean to be Pollyanna-ish about this, but I see a, a renaissance of, of the touch arts and the movement arts coming out of, of when we get out of the COVID thing and that people will really begin to connect in a way. Uh, they've seen the value of connection in a way uh, because it was taken away for this two years or whatever it's going to be, um, that, that it will come back very strongly post-COVID.
0: Yeah, I've already noticed it within my practice. I have a lot of people, most of my clients at this point are seeing me because they have anxiety and they haven't been able to like see their families or receive a hug in a long time. So I'm kind of curious, what do you think it is about human touch? I'm sure there's been some research on this that is so direly needed. Is there like a connection on the more like fascial level, like the neurological, or is there something that we don't quite understand about why we need this yet?
1: Uh, I would refer your listeners to two books. One absolutely essential is Ashley Montague's Touching because it summarizes the research on the necessity of touch. And so I won't rehearse all those arguments here, but just to say it's you know visual auditory, visual and auditory you and I are doing now over the internet. You cannot do the kinesthetic over the internet. I've been trying for this last year. Yoga teachers have been trying for this last year. And you do it over the internet. And Some people are good at it. Some people not so good at it. Some people are good at receiving it. Some people not so good at receiving it. But it's not satisfying. It's not as satisfying as being in a yoga class and all over the U.S. and all over the world. People are sneaking back into the classes even though they have to wear a mask or they're bucking regulations or whatever. Because you need the presence, even if you're just doing yoga in the presence of somebody else. Uh, it is different from doing it on your own with a TV screen in front of you. Um, and and I believe that difference will be seen and, and recognized. But touch is one third of our sensorium, uh, you know, the eyes and the ears and the touch. And the Internet hasn't figured out touch yet. So um, we're we're stuck with the eyes and ears and therefore touch is falling behind. And as I say, I think. People are recognizing that deficit, and it's going to come back um, after this period is over. I've forgotten what we were where we were going with this.
0: The other thing that I was curious about beyond touch is just the mere reality of presence. I mean, right now we're sharing a conversation and there is like a degree of transmission of your presence. You know, I feel (laughs) where you are at, but there is definitely a very different experience as if we were sitting in the same room, even if we're not touching, there's a weightiness to consciousness that I think is really important. And I think that that's one of the benefits of seeking body work is that you're totally receptive to the intention and presence of the therapist. I mean, that's kind of like Reiki, you know, it's a big part of that is like they're not even touching you, but you're getting some sort of benefit. So do you you know anything about this kind of qualitative sense of presence and why it's important?
1: Well, if you're trying to pursue the science of that, I would recommend Jim Oshman's book, Energy Medicine, to say energy medicine, that's the first two words of the title. And he's done a lot of work on that science of energy. And of course, it's not very well developed yet. So he's a finger pointing at the moon uh, for these kinds of things. The, um, the woo-woo part of this is if you look at the fibers and the gels that I was talking about a while ago, that these are all arrayed as crystals. The collagen is a triple helix, you know, the DNA is a double helix, that's a liquid crystal. The collagen is a triple helix, like an old three-stranded rope, and um, that is a a crystal. And the gels, the interesting, now I'm getting back to the gels, remember the gels are combining with water, Um, and the gels combined with water can be liquid crystalline or can be disorganized. And um, if the fibers are disorganized like felt, they're not a crystal array. If the gels are um, contaminated with toxins or uh, just not organized by movement, they likewise will not form a crystal array. So if your body is a crystal array, and I know I'm in the woo woo realm here, um, if your fascia is organized and There are various ways of of doing that. Uh, If the fascia is organized, it acts as an antenna. What is it acting as an antenna for? Maybe I should step back one thing with my scientific hat and say it could act as an antenna. I think it does act as an antenna. If it's disorganized, it's like a bad radio. You get a lot of static and a little bit of noise. What you want is high noise, low static. So part of that is your ability to meditate and and concentrate and to clear your own mind. But part of clearing your own mind is clearing your own body. So I think when we sit in the presence of somebody that there is an attunement between these two antennae, these two crystals of the body. And again, I'm out there. We don't really know what this information is, but I certainly have the sense if you and I were sitting together now, I would have a better sense of your and in your inner state simply by the resonance that would happen of two of these antennae being in the same room together. Um, but that's really not been quantified very much. You and I as a massage therapist or people who put their hands on people know how much that presence means and know you, you can tell as soon as you put your hand on somebody, is this person organized or is this person incoherent? And when you say incoherence, we often think about that in terms, oh, of their psycholo- psychology and their psychological structures. I'm talking about the actual coherence of the tissue in their body, that that's an antenna, and that that antenna gives me a sense of your hunches, your inner state, your, uh, the, the, the state of the people in the room with me, and that that would be a thing that ancient humans would develop very much uh, because their lives depended on it. Our social lives depend on it more than our actual physical lives, I hope. Um, But sensing what's going on with other people is not just an action of your nervous system. It's an action of your blood system, and it's an action of your fascial system. And I hope that that kind of contribution to consciousness will be recognized in future years.
0: Yeah, I think there's something with that mechanism. I mean, whenever you hear people typically in the spiritual spheres talk about having like a guru or like a sifu, like a martial arts master, I've actually met some of these people and there's a level of weightiness that you like feel this like reverberation in your chest and you're like, Mm -hmm. you are operating like the level of coherence within your system is so strong that it's making me realize how disharmonious my own is in like a good way because it shows you how to kind of move along that track and they're usually people who have strong body kind of uh practices as well so i'm kind of curious for the people out there who are hearing this and they're like oh i feel like you you know they're kind of calling me out right now like i kind of feel disharmonious in myself is there anything that you would suggest for folks to do to maybe experiment with their own kind of resonance and presence and like how do we cultivate this sense within ourselves
1: okay well the first thing that I would say is diet and I'm not going to say anything about diet because I'm I'm a I'm an omnivore I eat everything that's put in front of me Um, however you can with your diet with with incoherent food you can create an incoherent body so getting good supplies Mm -hmm. into your body good water good food and maybe less of it um, I, I like the Michael pollen thing, <laughs> eat plants, <laughs> eat food that's mostly plants and not very much. And, uh, so that's the thing. But once, uh, once, let's just say the diet is a given, um, the things that you can do to make your body more coherent is to have a movement practice, uh, Tai Chi, Aikido and, um, magua, um, what am, I'm, i missing, uh, Yoga. Other practice. Yes, yoga. I was looking for the other martial arts practice um, that's common. But all of those practices induce coherence in the crystal that I was talking about. You are uh, not doing it one day, but doing it consistently and coherently uh, over over months, uh, whatever the program is. You bring your body into a kind of tuning that I am not willing to live without anymore sure my body gets really bugged up by the international travel that i was doing until covid hit um, and i do a lot of international travel and my body is strong and i'm able to withstand it but i get incoherent on those trips i come back i do a movement practice in my hotel room while i'm on the trips i do movement when i come back i also um, i'm promoting a product here but uh, i use a biomat which um, the gels that I was talking about tend to pick up uh, toxins from coffee, from the food that you're eating, from whatever is going on. It's a jelly-like thing. The toxins get caught in there and stay. Deep infrared, far infrared light projected through the body um, helps to, uh, helps. It. I'm not going to go into a why it happens, but it helps the gels clear out those toxins. So I found that to be very helpful. That's sunlight and uh, this thing called a Biomat. I'm not trying to promote a product, but it has worked for me. And the infrared, somebody's saying, oh, I have an infrared sauna. Well, that infrared sauna gets into your body about an eighth of an inch or a quarter of an inch at most. Um, So I don't find those effective at doing the kind of coherent, whatever value they might have in terms of sweating or something else, uh, in terms of penetrating the body. I haven't found that those things penetrate the body the way I would like to see them. Um, so that can be helpful in coherence. Meditation is really settling down and letting your nervous system tune into some of the things that your body could be telling you, uh, is very helpful in these kinds of things. So, um, and then, of course, I would toot our own horn and say that a program of deep tissue work, such as we promote and that I learned from Rolf, and that I then in turn teach, um, that this is also something that builds coherence. Um, having somebody come in from the outside and make you coherent from the outside, as we do in our body work, It can be very helpful, but it is not the thing in itself. You need a movement practice to help maintain it. You need some internal sense of yourself. You can't just sort of smoosh the person like a piece of clay into something new and wonderful, and it's going to stay like that because, obviously, psychology, diet, and daily movement practice are all going to have an effect. But there's lots of things that people can do out there um, in terms of practices that you can download off the Internet, like things podcasts or little meditations that you could do while you were commuting in that would bring you into your body, make your body movement more coherent. It does take a commitment because people are lazy. Laziness is built into our genes um, for good reason. And uh, so people are lazy and don't want to move. And unfortunately, in the world today, this is the first time, this is the first time in the world that you don't have to move. In a paleolithic, in a, in an a animal world, you have to move. In a paleolithic world, you have to move. In a farming world, you have to move. You know, A few people can sit around and own the land, but most of the people are out there with a scythe and a plow, working from dawn to dusk. You know, in fact, people work very hard. People work harder in an agricultural society than they do in a, in a hunter-gatherer society. Um, but everybody's active. Everybody's moving from the youngest to the oldest, and for the first time in human history, cars, public transport, sitting in front of computers, were just not moving in the same way that other people did. I highly, as I've been recommending books all morning, I highly recommend the new book Exercised by Daniel Lieberman, which really, whether whether you agree with everything he says or not, it takes a lot of our ideas about exercise and turns them upside down. Hmm.
0: Yeah, so I have this like working hypothesis because I've also considered like spatial medicine as like an umbrella and how can we like bring all these things together? And the thing that seems to be like the apparatus mundi of a lot of this for me, and I I just started my yoga journey. I got a really uh, great teacher who is very keen. I mean, she's been in it for 22 years, has Mm -hmm. an actual lineage to point to. And what my experience is with this is so within yoga they have the nadis they're like the channels of energy in tai chi they have the meridians and it almost seems like they're talking about the same thing whether or not they're the same map but it, for me what it seems like is both of them offer you an opportunity to move your awareness and your consciousness in very systematic ways and it's the movement of consciousness which is actually the prana you know it's your ability to sense these deep internal things whether or not they're objectively factual it's the fact that you have an internal system to move your awareness around the interior of your body that is actually creating that kind of harmony i'm just kind of curious with your experience if that if there's anything conflicting with that or uh, does that sound mm, about right or
1: it sounds about right but we don't know brett yeah. um yeah. i i would i would say Say what others have said before me, which is hold your practices tightly and your ideas lightly. Mm. Um, because your idea about whether the nadis and the channels of chi or prana uh, are the same or not, this is all something that is very appealing to us now as um, practitioners. This this feels right. Uh, but we don't know. We, we don't know what the role of the nervous system, the role of... All of these things are working together, um, and I do believe that consciousness is a, uh, a function of all three systems, that your fascial system contributes to your consciousness, your neurological system contributes to consciousness, and your circulatory system, all the hormones and neuropeptides that um, Candace Pert was talking about that... Uh, these are all working together to produce the consciousness. The immediacy of consciousness is produced in the nervous system for sure. But the substrate of consciousness is the body. And um, I, I think that will come to be recognized again. We've really separated body and mind uh, with Descartes and we're kind of stuck with that at the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm led to think a lot about, um, I just got into one of your contemporaries, Mary Bond and her new rules of posture. It's a brilliant book and I, I picked that up as soon as I started my yoga journey and I thought that these two things were such a powerful influence at the same time. And I really like her idea of, and it's not even just like an idea, but they actually have this scientifically proven that if you think about a body part, say like you place your awareness on your knee, The neurons in your knee are actually starting to send more information to your brain so like for me that kind of also lends credence to that idea that i mean if we bring awareness to the different parts of our body then there is a level of harmony because you're getting novel information you're getting more proprioception from that area and for me like as a body worker that it seems like the most powerful function that we can be bringing to our clients like, kind of like you said, like taking people to their twos and into their threes, it's like bringing awareness to those deep parts. And that's actually, yes, they're the ones healing themselves. It's their nervous system having the experience. I'm just simply the, the pressure that's meeting what they actually need.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's abs- absolutely true. Uh, I really recommend to all my people that they understand you are not doing the healing. You are... At best, removing the impediments to natural healing, to auto regulation. And uh, <laughs> I stay a lot more humble and am a lot more effective if I stay in that realm. I'm not doing it, I'm just helping them do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I notice uh, there There seems to be kind of like two camps within the manual therapy field. There's like the, and I don't mean a dog, cause there's a lot of good work coming out of this camp, but like the medical massage, which is mm-hmm. kind of has that like fix it attitude where it's like, mm-hmm. I see this mechanical lever is the thing that's the problem. So I'm gonna get in there and I know exactly what this needs. And then they, they really get in there and I've had sessions like that, that I leave and I'm like, I am much worse now. <laughs> Is almost yes. like
1: be- because that logic is that logic of, of if then, if you have a medial collateral ligament tear, then you should be doing X number of reps on the quad machine X times a day. Uh, that kind of formula works only in a very narrow set of circumstances. The socialness, how much coffee they had today, did they get laid last night, um, all these other things come into the factors of whether that particular technique is going to work on that particular person today. Um, and the, what would you call them? The more generalist massage therapists have that idea. If, if I were just to put a metaphor on here, it would be that um, there's an airplane flying towards mountains that's gonna crash into the mountains. You got two choices. You can dynamite the mountains or you can lift the level of the airplane. So it flies over the mountains. And medical massage with the whole medical system is designed to dynamite mountains. The general massage thing, the general health and wellness movement, is designed to lift the level of the airplane. They both work. um, And the lifting the level of the airplane is much more vague. And we haven't done a lot of work on that yet. We're much more in the if-then medical model of this is the problem and this is the solution, one, one-to-one kind of correspondence. And unfortunately, we as therapists have to make decisions every day that have to do with the socialness, how much social support they have, what kind of movement are they doing. You're making clinical decisions that, that rest on a hundred factors, not just one out of a book. That one out of a book has to be applied to the individual. And... Good fix-it people know that too, <laughs> but but the tendency in the in the physiotherapy realm is for that Newtonian type of thinking. We're into Einsteinian thinking, in the relativistic thinking, in the in the
0: um, more wellness side of the of the equation. Yeah, it's it's honestly an honor and uh, it feels just like a privilege to be able to be a part of this this field because it really does kind of feel like the wild west. And I see a lot of tendency, Uh like a lot of people want to get under the umbrella of the more clinical approach to things. But I'm kind of like, yo, let's like keep it a little bit more open ended so that we can actually explore and genuinely listen to what is being communicated to us rather than showing up knowing, you know, as soon as you like know something, you kind of close down any other opportunity. And I mean, the body is just such a mystery as it is. So I think the opportunities there are just endless.
1: It ain't what you don't know. It's what you do know that ain't so. (laughs) that's gonna yeah. hurt you. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah, the, uh, so I'm willing to hang out and don't know for quite a while. I, I get really annoyed with myself when I find that I've been hanging on to something that just isn't there. Um, but but this is, you, you. I understand the temptation to get in on medical stuff, uh, to get in under the umbrella. I also understand and really support uh, projects to bring this kind of thinking into hospitals like we're we're working with one to do bodywork session pre-op and post-op and see whether the outcomes differ and everything has to be standardized you have to put it in these little cubby holes in order to make that work but it's going to be really helpful to do those kinds of things so i don't mind a person getting in under the the umbrella however they want to do that and however they want to work but i will tell you that Getting into the medical system as we see it now is approximately like handcuffing yourself to the railing of the Titanic Um, (laughs) because that ship is going down. It is based on premises that are no longer relevant, no longer even scientifically viable. Um, And we're still doing. Did you know that that's, uh, I got to get the figure back out, but a majority of back operations are still classified as experimental. This is not evidence-based medicine. This yeah. is money-based medicine. Mm-hmm. And we're in a money-based medicine system, and it's really, excuse me, screwed up. The, the whole, we saw that during, through the Obama um, health care, Obamacare and all of that, just how crazy this system is in terms of the money in it and how the money works. i would lived under socialist socialized medicine in those socialists, dictatorships of Western Europe, and it works much better than our system. <laughs> you know, the, this, the people who are saying, oh, America has the best healthcare system in the world have not looked anywhere else. Almost every medical system in the rest of the world is much better, not in terms of the innovation and the bells and whistles, but in terms of delivery to people, that people are not deciding between whether I buy food or buy medicine. It's, it's the, the system here is really screwed up. And people don't realize it because they live inside the system and they don't see other systems. I am I like running to the three. place where I'm I am gonna have to to go pretty soon,
0: Brett. Yeah, yep, yep, yeah, that's totally okay. That pretty much wraps up where we were at. So yeah, thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciated this conversation. This is essentially everything I wanted to do with the show, so all compiled into one episode. I love it.
1: Great. Um, yeah. so if, uh, let us know when you get it up, we'll, we'll get it out on our social media and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe get you
0: some other listeners. Great. Um, real quick, where can people find you and keep up with your work?
1: Uh, well, we're, uh, trying to be a worldwide, uh, bodywork school. So anatomytrains.com is our main site, but, um, you can go to, uh, Australia, um, Europe, I think it's UK, .co.uk, but Anatomy Trains will get you uh, to the work that I have. We've hardly discussed Anatomy Trains. Anatomy Trains for me was how I linked the myofascia. Um, I started looking at the kind of serape that goes from rhomboids to serratus anterior to the external obliques that was brought up by a guy named Raymond Dart, who was responsible for the caveman image of ancient man that we have. and. And he did this article on this thing. And my reaction to that was, why stop there? There are connections all over the body. And so I started mapping them. And it took me about 10 years of mapping them until they came into a system. And then I published that system. And and people have really responded to it in a very positive way. And across from orthopedists to osteopaths to massage therapists to yoga teachers to trainers, I really have liked how many people have um, taken this up. It's been really fun.
0: Yeah, it's been a huge inspiration for me, especially during COVID and not having an in-person teacher. I've been going through the textbook and its I suggest it. Even if you're not even in these fields, it's brilliant.
1: The, uh, the thing of the muscle only goes from here to here and then thus only has this action. Um, and then the new age people are saying, everything's connected to everything else and everything is connected to everything else, but some things are more connected than others. We, we mm-hmm. need to, cause everything isn't connected equally to everything else. Um, and that just leaves you in a vague and vacuous world that you, you, you know, it's all intuition and it isn't all intuition. You can, you can think your way through these problems. And so anatomy trains was my map to help people think through these, these kinds of global postural and patterns and it links in as you said to Peter Levine's work and the patterns that people get themselves into in very deep ways in the nervous system are expressed into the body and although I love Peter his work uh, somatic experiencing has really gone back towards psychology and I wish they'd stuck with the body it um, I'm still waiting for a good body psychology thing to come along that sticks with the body and doesn't run
0: back to psychotherapy as a as a uh, default yeah we'll see awesome yeah we'll see i really like the body keeps the score if you haven't read that by Bessel oh yeah Bessel. Yep. Uh, Bessel yeah
1: that's all yeah
0: very nice all right well thank you again so much i hope you have a great rest of the day
1: great i'm gonna get on my boat and i'm going to sail out to sea
0: All right, my friends, that was the episode. Thank you so, so, so much for making it all the way through till the end. I really do make this show for you. That was the one and only Thomas Myers. Wow, that was a lot of stuff, right? A lot of really good, juicy stuff that hopefully left you feeling as inspired as it left me feeling. I don't think it's just because I'm a fellow body worker, but there was just some good gems in there. I even wrote it down as I was re-listening. So yeah, that was this week's episode. If you want to support the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us that five-star review, likes on Facebook and the Instagram. You can subscribe on YouTube. It's probably where you're going to stay most up to date. As soon as an episode drops, you'll be getting it. So that's really nice and tasty. Uh, you can head on over to anatomytrains.com just to keep up to date with Thomas Myers. He's also on all the social medias as well. He's got a lot of really cool things you can plug into in the uh, digital sphere. Uh, Like I said at the start of the episode, he's got some really cool YouTube talks and classes and descriptions of fascia that goes a little bit deeper than even what we got into here. I really think it's super beneficial for everybody to understand this stuff. Like, it is your body. It is one of the major systems of your body. So check it out. Go, like, love it. Do whatever you got to do. We'll see you in two weeks with another really fresh conversation. I hope all will be well. Stay safe out there, y'all. Bye.